well as year-round nature store, lake access, and educational programs about habitat conservation for people of all ages. More information at mainaudubon.org or 989-2591. Support for Talk of the Towns also comes from Table, a farmhouse bistro serving dinner Tuesday through Saturday starting at 5 p.m. Located at 66 Main Street in Blue Hill. More information at farmkitchentable.com. And you are listening to Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill. Stay tuned for Talk of the Towns. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine, and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. This is Natalie Springle from the University of Maine Sea Grant, guest hosting this program while our regular host, Ron Beard, is away. I I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. This morning, our topic is sustainable business and the sustainable business program at College of the Atlantic in Bar Harbor. Before we go into our topic, let me tell you that WERU is having a pledge drive this week. So if you'd like to support great programs like this one, please call 1-800-643-6273. That's 1-800-643-6273. Or go online at weru.org. If you pledge during this call, you are eligible to win Maine 101, a book that's called Everything You Wanted to Know About Maine and and We're Going to Ask Anyway. It's a great little book. Um, Now back to our topic at hand. What does it mean to start a sustainable business? Business is one of the world's most ubiquitous activities, and it has a tremendous impact on everyone in society. How do we help make business become a positive agent for change in our communities, and what does it take for a business to be truly sustainable? Students at College of the Atlantic in Bar Harbor are learning just that through a new hatchery program that enables them to learn the basics of business in ways that reflect their values. Today in the studio, we're joined by Kate Mako, the administrator of the Sustainable Business Program. On the phone, we have Jay Friedlander, professor of green and sustainable business at College of the Atlantic. And later in the show, two students currently involved in the new sustainable business hatchery will be calling in. They are Noah Hodgetts, who's created MDI 2030, an effort at unifying various planning efforts on MDI, and Jordan Motzkin, who is launching Big Box Farms, growing organic vegetables in underutilized industrial spaces. We'll be taking calls in about 20 or 30 minutes, and we'll let you know that number when we get to it. Let's turn first to Jay. I think Jay's on the line. Um, Jay, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to teach sustainable business at a small college on the coast of Maine. Uh, hello, Natalie. Hi, Thanks Jay. for having me on. Um, I, I'd be happy to. So a little bit about my background. Um, I really became interested in business uh, through an experience, my experience with the Peace Corps in West Africa. And there, uh, you really saw how business influenced every part of society. And I was in the Islamic Republic of Mauritania, which had abolished slavery in 1980. 
And so what you saw on the one hand was business, and in a sense doing the worst that it can do, enslaving people. Um, and I was there in the late 90s, and there were still villages that were essentially uh, indentured servants to, to other ethnic groups. And on the other hand, you saw a group of women who got together to form a cooperative, and, and through their enterprises, and this was a fencing cooperative in particular, they could feed their families, they could um, provide education for their children, improve nutrition, um, health care, and you could see how business could be this force that could really lift people up and dramatically change their lives. And so when I left the Peace Corps, I decided that was the kind of business uh, that I wanted to practice. And I went and got an MBA, um, and then after a few different exercises, ended up as the chief operating officer for O Naturals, uh, which is an, the first natural and organic uh, fast food restaurant in the U.S. Um, after about 10 years at O Naturals, I decided that really it was time to change over to, to teaching and to help um, spread the word that not only can business um, be practiced sustainably, but you can do it in such a way that uh, lifts up people and reinforces society, restores the environment, and uses both of those things to enhance your bottom line. Great. Thanks, Jay. Um, you mentioned O Naturals. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Those of us in Down East Maine haven't necessarily experienced it. Sure. Um, o Naturals, which is now called Stonyfield Cafe, um, it was the, founded in Falmouth, Maine, and it's uh, natural and organic food served quickly, so very high-quality food served fast um, in an atmosphere that's friendly for both adults and kids. So on the menu is everything from, um, well, all the, usually it starts with the bread, which is made in-house from organic flour, honey, and sea salt, and it's baked fresh in the store, and you walk in, you can see the oven and people pulling out fresh hot loaves of bread. And then you can fill that with anything from um, an organic beef that is slow roasted to vegetarian and vegan options. There's four different kinds of soups, fresh top salads, and meals for kids, as well as Asian noodles and a bunch of other things. Great. Thanks, Jay. Um, we'll come back to you in a minute, and you'll, you, we'll ask you to tell us a little bit about the program at the college. Um, but let's turn to Kate. Um, Kate, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came into this work as Sustainable Business Administrator. Um, I circled this position for quite um, quite some time. I studied classics at Bates College in Lewiston, Maine, um, so I had a lot of headhunters, you know, pounding on my door <laughs> when I graduated. Um, and after I did graduate, but it, I, in classics I thought it was particularly interesting to study the way society organized itself. Um, establishing civic systems and domestic systems and things like that. Um, and then after I did graduate, I came back to Bar Harbor, which is where I grew up, um, and helped various friends start various businesses in the town. Um, and a number of them actually were COA graduates, Cafe This Way and um, The Morning Glory, um, to name just a couple. Um, and then after that, and that was in the food service, but it was a lot of sort of the general startup tasks of figuring out um, work systems to painting the trim to customer service um, and I actually really enjoyed doing that. Um, it was a lot of fun, it was fun working with other people um, and it was fun creating new dynamic businesses in a town, um, helping them create them of course. 
Um, but then after that, uh, Doug Mafucci, who owns and runs the Atlantic Brewing Company, um, approached me and asked if I would be interested in helping them start up the Town Hill branch of their business, which was trying to create a winery-type feel um, at the brewery. So they, they were wanting to do tours and tastings and um, have the brewing process be a little bit more visible and educational, as well as a retail store and a small restaurant. Um, and that seemed like an advancement to the skills I'd been learning, um, and it was really fun. My business card, I think, said I was the wholesale and retail operations manager, which was a really boring um, title for a really fun job, <laughs> which was figuring out how to run a restaurant and figuring out how to run a retail store and what marketing worked and what marketing didn't. Um, and, and also, one thing that I learned there was to that the customers really lead what the need is. Um, and, and that was something that I actually thought was challenging to me um, in looking back because I had this vision of what I wanted it to be and then the customers actually turned out to be for the most part fairly different from my vision um, and I had to kind of let go of what I thought it should be and let it become what it wanted to be and, and now it's this thriving wonderful wonderful place to go um, and after that um, I moved on to Lunaform, which was also started by, um, in part, by a COA graduate. Um, Lunaform is a, a small company in Sullivan, Maine, that makes outdoor uh, urns and planters for people's gardens. Um, and I started working in the coloring studio and eventually ended up helping to run the office um, and doing everything in between. Um, but that was a really wonderful experience. I was there for actually about nine years. Um, and I really liked that it combined, you know, physical labor with people skills and talking to clients and helping people choose um, different pieces of art for their gardens. Um, combined a lot of different skills that um, that I was looking forward to accentuating after working in the the retail and wholesale industry. Um, and while I was at Lunaform for three summers, um, I was a partner at Mother's Kitchen in Town Hill, Maine, um, helping to run that small sandwich shop and bakery um, with Tasha Higgins, and that was a wonderful experience as well. Although probably one of the most challenging of my, my work careers, it's a wonderful tiny little sandwich shop, but it's actually a really intense <laughs> workload. <laughs> um, and so after Lunaform, or once, once I had been at Lunaform for what felt like a, a good long time, I decided that um, I would start looking for something else, and the opportunity arose that they were looking for a sustainable business program administrator, and I thought, well, maybe I have the skill set for that. So I applied, and thankfully, I was accepted. That's great. That's great. Um, it sounds like you have the mix of um, skills that are needed in so many small businesses here on the coast of Maine. Um, Jay, let's turn back to you and um, maybe have you tell us a little bit about the program that I understand you've really kind of helped create at the college. Um, and as you're telling us a little bit about the program, if you could reflect a bit on how the program and how you and your teaching and in your experience define the term sustainable, um, which has become, as we know, sort of a bit of a buzzword. What does it mean for the work that you do? Oh, sure, Natalie. Um, but in, in terms of the program and the design of the program, um, as you know, many things at COA are driven by the students. And so a lot of the pieces of the program have come from what the students were asking for, what skills they, were, uh, what skills they needed, um, and other aspects. And actually, as Kate referred to, 
a very large percentage of COA students, almost 20%, go on to start their own businesses. And when they did a survey of the COA alums, they found out that one of the things that they wish they had more than anything else was some business training at the school. So that the program really combines traditional uh, business education, so learning things like uh, accounting and finance and um, entrepreneurship, uh, leadership, um, all of those marketing, all of those sort of um, hard skills, as well as uh, classes on innovation. And then, but everything is couched in this um, notion of sustainability. And, and the idea here is that if you do business well, uh, you can actually create a positive impact on society. And sustainability, as you said, is it's a really popular buzzword. Um, to some people, it's almost become meaningless at this point because there is so much talk about it. So what we mean from it, and if you, if you look back, the Brundtland Commission from the UN talked about sustainability as being able to meet the needs of today's people without compromising um, the ability of future generations to meet their needs. And that's a, that overview, I, I think, can be helpful. And, and in effect, you know, I look at business as something that can be restorative versus depletive. So if you look at what's happening, you know, down in the Gulf of Mexico right now, um, you know, that is a great example of these sort of externalities that modern business creates. And we've got to re reshape the way that business is being done if we want to really um, going beyond averting catastrophe and global warming and a lot of the other problems that you're seeing out there, but this is about um, building a world that is not only good for us, but also is going to be uh, prosperous for future generations. Great. Thanks, Jay. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that, that I find particularly interesting about the program as I learn more and, and more about it is um, that you're focusing on, if I understand correctly, and you can define it for us, um, you're, you're helping students learn the skills needed to both run for-profit businesses or start them in the future, as well as the not-for-profit ventures. Um, and uh, if, you, if you could tell us a little bit more about sort of the role of those two pieces, both in the program, but also in uh, sort of the larger scheme of how sustainable ventures can, can really be agents for change. Sure. I would, I would also say, um, before I get to that, the other sure. key program is about engagement. And I think we're going to talk about that with the hatchery. And, and we're getting students in almost every class. Students are out working in the community and either starting their own ventures or this uh, last year we worked with, South, with, with businesses in Southwest Harbor where students were applying sustainable strategies to companies and small businesses. And that program was so successful, they ended up presenting, actually, to the entire Southwest Chamber of Commerce on what they're doing. And as you mentioned, a key part of the program is that we are agnostic, and we look at business both as for-profit or as non-profit. Um, when you look at those, and having worked in both uh, organizations, and I've worked in large, uh, as a consultant in large Fortune 100 companies, as well as worked with small nonprofits. Uh, the skill set that you need to run either of those overlaps tremendously. So if you talk to someone who's working in Greenpeace on a campaign or someone who is doing e-marketing for a product, they're using the same language, the same skills. Leadership uh, crosses over both organizations. Both have operations. And really, each, both for-profits and non-profits, 
have a tremendous amount they can learn from each other. And that's why you have uh, organizations such as uh, Google with Google.org supporting both for-profit and non-profit ventures to find solutions to societal problems. Um, because it's not, it, it is no longer, it, it's been a very artificial boundary between the two. And you see that, you know, for-profit corporations can learn a lot from non-profits because they're on the forefront of what is happening out there, what are the new trends, what are the things people worried of, are worried about. And in turn, another way to look at it, that is where are the new market opportunities out there. And also non-profits can learn from for-profit corporations because most non-profits are always, just one example would be they're always struggling for funding. And what if you could come up with a new kind of funding model um, or you were meeting your, your funders and finding your funders in a different way um, that enabled you to bring in more capital and further your nonprofit mission. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're really combining um, both of those. That that's great. Um, I think that uh, in terms of how the um, the what images get conjured up when you think of an organization focused on sustainability up until the last few years, it seems like a lot of times people would imagine a conservation organization or an environmental group or someone really focused on on sort of greening um, their work. Um, and I'm seeing Kate signal to me that she has something very specific to say. So let's jump over to Kate. Well, in thinking about, um, Natalie, your last question to yeah. Jay and um, adding on to his answer is, I, I think also of sustainable business um, being referred to also as social business. And that sort of implies the, the blending of the for-profit and non-profit sectors. And that's something that um, Muhammad Yunus is talking about in one of his, his latest books. Um, but that he he talks about them. Who is Muhammad? Muhammad Yunus is the um, he won a Nobel Prize. He founded Grameen Bank, um, which was one of the first micro lending organizations, um, and he thinks very much about creating social change and using um, business as a as a means to do that. Um, and I think that that's one of the aspects of our program that um, we really are emphasizing right now, which is the social entrepreneurship. Um, aspect and that seems to appeal um, to a, a wide group of COA students um, because it does have that that aspect of creating change and positive change in communities and in the world. So really really stretching and expanding um, how we look at sustainability. Jay, can you talk a little bit about um, the triple bottom line of sustainability and, and what that means today? Sure. Uh, the triple bottom line is classically, so traditionally in business, you would have the bottom line, which was your profitability. Um, and today what's been added to that is looking at your social and environmental impact as well, and that's why they call it the triple bottom line. Um, you'll also hear people refer to a double bottom line, which can be either a social or environmental impact. Um, companies have been actually thinking about these things for for quite some time, and the, the power that's come from this is you have when you look at leading companies, people like Google or Timberland or... Whole Foods, or um, you know, even Toyota. Although they they've recently kind of fallen off that that bandwagon, um, that they've been considering all of these different elements for a long time, and and essentially looking at their stakeholders, so looking at the communities that they're in, um, looking at how they treat their workers, and build and doing all these things to create and find new products. Um, and essentially, this is all about spurring innovation. So when you start to look at more than just one bottom line, and you're looking at the other two, you start to see the world a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, you find new opportunities. 
um, and you find new ways to save, new markets to go into, um, and you build up your customer loyalty, employee loyalty. They're all of these uh, positive effects of looking at things in more than one way. And if you think about it in a classic way with, you know, Yankee ingenuity, um, it's, it's that, but it's, it's more formalized and also greatly expanded. Great, great. Um, so going from sort of the, the macro level, um, let's sort of zoom in a little bit on to College of the Atlantic in, in Bar Harbor. Um, Kate, tell us a little bit about the college. Um, the college was founded in 1969 by a small group of local academics and business people who were looking for something to stimulate the year-round economy and the dynamic of Mount Desert Island in Maine, um, which was definitely and still is a very seasonal um, community, but they were looking for ways to, to lessen the, the extreme summer versus winter um, feel in the island. And so they decided to start a small college. Um, but they were looking to, for such a small little town, um, they had huge thoughts, I think, and they, they were looking to um, teach students with a, a much broader perspective of what they were studying. And so they decided that each student would receive one degree at the college, and it's a degree in human ecology, um, which is an exploration of uh, relationships between humans um, and their environment, whether it's their civic environment, their physical environment, their spiritual environment, economic environment. Um, it, it's, um, they constantly challenge students to explore not only their specific interests, but how their interests bleed into surrounding fields of study. Um, and I think in other academic settings, students bore down into their fields of interest, um, tunneling past other fields. And at COE, COA, we see the study of one field is necessarily linked um, to and fed by other fields. Um, and so we encourage students to constantly explore beyond the boundaries of what they think their interest is um, and into, into other, other fields. Great. Um, in, in full disclosure, I'm actually an alum of College of the Atlantic, graduated in the early 90s. And <laughs> when I was a student there in the late 80s and early 90s, um, business was kind of a bad word. And uh, it seems to have been a really big transition that happened at the college. Um, and, and Jay, can you comment a little bit about why you think that transition is happening? You talked a little bit about the alums having said, I could have used a lot more business uh, savvy in my education. Um, why has why that changed? Why is it changing now? Well, I, I think there's a couple of reasons. There's some macro reasons and some micro reasons. On the, on the macro level, just in the, in the broader society, I think you're right back in... Um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, business was just seen as the problem. And there was the, the non-profit organizations and business were essentially at loggerheads. And they just said, you know, the nonprofit said, you're the problem, you've got to fix this. And the business said, you know, you've got to get off our backs, leave us alone, let us operate our companies. And, and since then, what has happened is people realize that there, there is value in both sides. And so nonprofits now, people like Environmental Defense Fund, who are once known for suing people, are now working with corporations to say, let us help you make less impact and let us show you where there are new opportunities. And, and businesses are embracing that and opening themselves up to these environmental organizations that to help us and help us figure this out. And you can see this, I mean, and one example of this uh, is Environmental Defense Fund has an office down in Bentonville, Arkansas, you know, where the headquarters of Walmart is. Mm -hmm. And Walmart is 
far, you know, they're doing a lot on the environmental side. Um, their social uh, history and, and what they're doing is still needs a lot of work. But that's just one example of people are starting to work together, I think. So that's what's been happening sort of the broader societal level. And at COA, I think there's really two things that have happened. One is uh, there's been an influx of international students. So today, over 20% of the students that go there are international, and they are oftentimes from developing countries uh, all throughout the world. And there, people are much more tuned into business and see business as you know, a powerful force in the society. And so they were clamoring for it. I think the other thing that has happened is um, many COA students, after they got their degree in human ecology, they went out in the world and they tried to figure out, okay, now what do I do to make a living? And many ended up starting their own businesses and realized that, wow, you know, this is something that these are skills that we need and we can affect greater change if we understand what we're doing. And so, as I mentioned before, you know, business is all about impact. And so are you going to choose to have a positive social, environmental, and economic impact or, or not? And so I think the students realize that, wow, we can do this and have a huge amount of impact in the world um, if we em embrace this. So I, I think that's what's, what's happened on campus and, and in the broader world. Great. Thanks, Jay. Um, I know we have to let you go pretty soon because we're going to get one of our students on the line. Um, and I know that Kate has something to add to that as well. So I just want to remind listeners that you're listening to WERU at 89.9. And in a few minutes, we're going to start taking calls. Um, our number in the studio is one 625 9378 That's 1-866-625-WERU. And um, Jay, can I ask you in, in just a minute or two to give us what the overview of the hatchery program so that we can then um, turn to some of your students and hear their story? Absolutely. Uh, the hatchery program was, as many things at COA, was really conceived by the students. We were in a class called Launching the New Venture, which is all about how do you understand opportunities and write a business plan. And the students said, you know, this is great that we understand this and we can do the market research, but we actually want to start companies. And so the idea behind the hatchery is just that, that students for their senior project, which is a whole term's worth of work, can actually go to a place and start either for-profit or non-profit enterprises, um, and they will receive support in terms of classes and a little bit of structure. As well, we provide seed capital, office space, um, bring in speakers, provide professional services so that students can actually start an enterprise uh, during their senior year um, in college. And then they can remain in the hatchery for nine months after graduation to continue working on the enterprise. And I think what's really important here, and as you look down the road, this is about sparking you know, a long-term sustainability cluster um, in Hancock County and keeping these graduates for this tremendous resource in the state of Maine to help the economy uh, develop in such a way that it's a regenerative and restorative economy. Um, and so when you look at the products in the hatchery, they range from everything from international... Hello? Hello. We may have just lost Jay. I'm sorry? Oh, you're still there. Oh. Okay. Okay. Just so, lost you for a second there, but you're back. Okay. So the which part did I... Did you get the end part of that? 
Uh, you were just telling us a tiny bit about the variety of students that you have in oh. the program. So the, the students in the hatchery range and everything from um, urban agriculture to international development to, um, to engineering. You know, so it's, it's this great microcosm of all the different interests of the COA community. Um, and so that's, that's a brief overview of the program. And it's been really exciting to watch these things develop over this first year. And we're looking forward to seeing um, what the next crop of students who come in will bring. Great, great. It sounds like a really great program and will be a long-term asset to the region, I think. Um, Kate, what's your role in the program? I help oversee the students in the hatchery um, along with Jay. We this year have sort of developed the program um, as, as needed by the students, as Jay mentioned earlier. Um, one of the things that I do is work very closely um, throughout the, each week with the students in, in the program. And so they're accepted in and we have a syllabus which we use as an overview throughout the 10 weeks of the spring term. Um, but initially, um, we, we meet once a week on Mondays for three hours and we go over um, whatever the topic is, be it graphic design um, or legal entity or um, financials. Um, and then for the rest of the week, I kind of meet one-on-one -on -one with students as they see fit or, or if they need feedback, if they're doing a presentation and they want to run by somebody if it sounds all right or makes sense. Um, and it's one of my very most favorite things to do. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, Jay, I think we have to let you go so that we can uh, talk to one of your students. Um, do you have any parting words for anyone who's thinking about undertaking a sustainable business venture uh, here in, in uh, the coastal Maine region? The only, well, first of all, thank you so much, Natalie, for having us on and for, um, for doing this program. My pleasure. I think there, there is tremendous potential if you're starting a sustainable enterprise. And the thing that people have to realize is in the old days, it was people saw it as a zero-sum game. So if I benefit the environment or if I'm conscious with, and dealing conscientiously with society, it was seen as a drag on the business. And today that whole framework has shifted. And in fact, you can create a business that restores the environment, builds society, and then both of those things in turn help build your profitability, competitive advantage, and this is happening in businesses throughout the state of Maine and also large global companies. Um, and so the time is, is really now to create these clusters of sustainable enterprises and, and really remake the kind of economy that we have. And that will bring about huge positive changes. Great. Thanks, Jay. I wish you the best of luck in um, training the next generation of business leaders. And uh, why don't we hear from one of those next generation of business leaders? I believe that we have... Uh, Noah Hodgetts on the phone. Nope, we don't have him yet. We're going to call him right now. So in the meantime, um, I would like to remind you that you're listening to WERU at 89.9. And um, if you'd like to call in and make any comments about what you've heard or share your own experience in um, the world of sustainable business here in Maine, um, please do call in at one 626 9378 that's one eight six 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 two five W E R U. And um, Noah, are you on the line? 
Yes, I am. Hi, Noah. Thanks for joining us. Um, Noah is a student at College of the Atlantic and recent he, graduate. Oh, a recent graduate. That's right. You just graduated. Congratulations, Noah. Thank you. Um, and Noah is one of the um, starting students in the Business Hatchery program. And Noah, Jay just kind of shared a little bit with us about what that program is about. Um, and Kate's told us a little bit about um, COA. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your program is and what your experience um, has been so far with, with the program and what it is that you're trying to do with MDI 2030. Okay, great, sure. Well, um, yeah, thank you, Natalie. Uh, my name's Noah Hodgetts. Uh, I'm starting a venture called MDI 2030, which is working with Mount Desert Island community members to coordinate existing um, initiatives in order to create a more environmentally, socially, and economically sustainable Mount Desert Island. Um, and my kind of idea for this really began about a year ago. I was working on one of a number of different um, kind of local community efforts on the island, um, actually in the Town Hill area of Bar Harbor. And what I saw is that there was really kind of a focus on really at the neighborhood level in that a lot of the issues which individual neighborhoods um, are dealing with on MDI are really island-wide issues. And so saw the need to develop some kind of island-wide vision. Um, and I decided that the best way to do this was really to start up some kind of project that went beyond my time at COA um, that could really engage community members across disciplines um, and across sectors um, in a kind of inclusive, open process. Great. Thanks, Noah. Um, we're going to come right back to you in just a second because we actually have a caller. Um, so, um, hello, if you want to share your name and give us your thoughts. Sure. Hello. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, we can hear you great. Great. I'm calling uh, from my cell phone because that's the only phone I have. I have chosen to live completely off-grid with solar power in Maine. Great. And uh, it is not just my home. It's also my business. It's a bed and breakfast okay. right over in Bucksport. T tell us again the name of it. It's Williams Pond Lodge Great. Bed and Breakfast. My name is David Weida. Great. This is our second full season in business, and uh, obviously we market to the niche community of eco-tourists coming to Maine to appreciate all the beauty and also experience lodging accommodations that are as we say on our ads, in the woods, on the pond, and off the grid. That's great. That's great. Um, did you enter your business with any sort of training? Might you have benefited if you had a chance to do the training that you've just heard about? Uh, to be honest with you, uh, we came to Maine seven years ago with the intention of developing the property that we purchased into a functioning bed and breakfast. And it was an old camp on a pond in Maine with no electricity other than the generator and the bank of batteries. So we knew if we were going to have a bed and breakfast, we were going to either have conventional power coming down a long woods road or go for the solar option. The solar option became the way to go for us based on affordability. Great. We have 50 photovoltaic panels between two small roofs. Uh, people drive in here and they see a charming little pond-side camp covered with solar panels. <laughs> it's pretty, <laughs> pretty amazing. <laughs> That's great. I think that... That um, is, is we were very uh, surprised by the number of people who, they find us on the website and they see the property and they call for reservations, 
they haven't even noticed on our website. You know, we, we certainly advertise that we're solar-powered and off-the-grid. That is not the strongest issue that brings them to us. It is the beauty of the site, the fact that we are out in Maine's beautiful woodlands on a pond shore. So we're, we're really feeling like we're convincing a whole lot of uh, new-generation eco-tourists that this is the way to go because they come here not even aware that we're off-grid. They show up and they look at those solar panels and they say things like, now, what time do I have to turn my lights off? <laughs> right. <laughs> you don't understand that those batteries are going to be charged every day by the sun, and they, that electricity is going to last all night long if they need it. <laughs> right, right. Let's hear from Kate. I think that that's, um, that's a wonderful thing that you're doing, David, because of, of exactly what you just said. It's an it's a extremely um, special educational uh, opportunity that you're giving to the guests that who don't, who don't necessarily think about things like this. And I would guess that they will never think about their electricity quite the same way when they go back to um, wherever they are coming from. Um, and I, w one of the um, businesses that the students in the sustainable strategies class at College of the Atlantic worked with was uh, Kristen Hutchins, Hutchins Cottages in, in Southwest Harbor. Um, and she's in a similar boat where she works really hard to educate the guests that come. And some of the guests come because of her choices for sustainability and some of the guests come because they want a vacation in Southwest Harbor and hey, what's composting? Um, but I think it's a really, really special thing that you are doing there and, and I congratulate you. Thank you and I, I certainly encourage all the listeners to, uh, you know, we've been on the Solar Homes Tour, the National Solar Homes Tour, it's in October every year and uh, it's a great chance to stop by and see what a little bed and breakfast in Maine that's off-grid, solar-powered. We, we even great, give great hospitality to those folks on the tour. Come by and have some ginger snaps and sky shortbread and lemonade. Great. Thank you so much. And thanks for your call. It sounds like you're... Williams Pond Lodge in Bucksport. Okay. Williams Pond Lodge in Bucksport. Thanks a bunch. Um, Noah, let's go back to you for a minute. Um, sure. Share, if you could talk a little bit about um, how the... the um, the program that you're involved with at COA, um, ha or were involved with uh, since you just graduated, but you're going to continue to be involved with it, um, how it's impacted your thinking and where you want to head with your venture. Sure. Well, when I entered the program um, in the end of March, um, the beginning of spring term, I had a very vague idea of what I wanted to do with MDI 2030. Um, actually, at the time, I was operating under a different name. And so over the past, over the 10 weeks um, in the hatchery, um, I was able, with the help of the five um, Bell Ventures and Kate and Jay, to really kind of develop my vision um, for what I wanted to do um, and to really kind of um, make, really make a lot of the things, really kind of think about a lot more of the kind of details of it. Um, in terms of the financials of it, in terms of the timeline, um, in terms of what money I needed to raise where. Um, it, may, it, really, it really helped take my project from just being an idea to really starting to become a reality. Um, and, you know, because of that, I've now, I'm happy to say that I now have uh, secured to date $5,500 to date. And um, it went from being a dream to, to realizing that I'm really going to be able to come back in the fall and you working on this. That's great. Are you setting yourself up as an independent program, as a business, as a nonprofit? How, what's the structure yep. of what you're doing? That's a good question. Um, 
You know, right now uh, I'm still kind of operating under the mindset that I'm going to be creating this kind of a independent program or project. Um, I have not um, totally closed the door to creating my own 501c3 um, nonprofit. Um, I just don't know if it's absolutely necessary at this point. Um, but you know that could change as time goes forward. And um, if your if your venture goes in the direction you'd like it to, mm-hmm. um, what does it look like in a year, and then in five years, and let's say in ten years? What sure. does it look like, and what does its impact on the community where you work, Mount Desert Island, uh, look like? Sure. So in one year, um, the idea would be to have kind of grown um, or established um, a solid coalition of community members um, across different sectors in the business community, to, to the four municipal governance, governments on the island, to nonprofits. Um, that will come out of hopefully a stakeholder summit, which MDI 2030 hopes to organize um, this coming spring. Um, and that will kind of lead to the five-year part of embarking on a uh, multiple-year um, planning process to develop a 15 to 20 year sustainability plan, island wide sustainability plan and vision for Mount Desert Island. So, five years down the line, um, the hope would be that that plan would begin to be implemented. Um, Ten years down the line, um, the hope was that we'd really start to see some of these projects come to life and really start to have an impact on Mount Desert Island. Um, from the little things of just creating more, uh, kind of a more comprehensive network of bike lanes and bike paths across the island to more um, long-term challenging but absolutely necessary um, tasks and projects such such as um, increasing um, renewable power production, um, powering the electricity of the island. Great. Thanks, Noah. Before we let you go, so we can move on to your fellow student, um, Jordan Motzkin, um, what would you what would you recommend to other um, young graduates like yourself or, or young folks who um, are thinking about starting up their own venture? What would have been sort of some of the significant lessons in your really early stages that you would pass along? Um, I guess one of the major lessons is not close the door to anything, um, and really surround yourself with groups of other budding entrepreneurs. I think that that was been one of the great, most helpful parts of being in the hatchery is that some of the greatest ideas for what I'm really kind of focusing my energy on right now have not actually necessarily come from my own ideas, but come from the develop other people um, in the hatchery mentioning ideas and me, you know, taking that idea and developing that idea to the next step. Sounds like a really collaborative approach. Um, yeah. Thanks, Noah. And um, I think we're going to let, yeah. And uh, I think we're going to let you go and um, try to reach Jordan. Okay, great. And good luck to you, Noah. Thank you. Um, Kate, while we're reaching Jordan, can you um, give us a sense of what some of the other students are up to in the program? Absolutely. Um, as Jay mentioned, we really ran the gamut. Uh, Jacob Weisberg was working on Vegmatics, which was a um, diesel to vegetable oil conversion system for um, automobiles. And um, he definitely was deep into the engineering of this um, and and spent his term uh, working on a, a rapid prototype of um, 
I believe it was a heating element. Um, but he, he got a lot of feedback from the, as Noah mentioned, the other students in the hatchery, which was, which was good because, you know, some of us barely understood what he was doing. And so that was good because he needed to learn how to explain it to the people who don't Mm -hmm. want to think about vegetable oil in their car. Um, and by the end I was rooting for him to have great success in the sense that I wanted to maybe do it for myself. So um, he was one of the examples, um, on the, the opposite end of, of the spectrum from somebody, say, like Nafisa, who's from Afghanistan and working on um, embroidered wall hangings and, and creating economic opportunities for women in Afghanistan to sell their products um, in the United States and hopefully elsewhere. Great. Thanks. Um, I think we have Jordan, Jordan Motskin on the line. Jordan, are you there? Hello. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for joining us. Um, we just heard from Noah. Um, and heard his his idea, and um, we've been we've been talking, as you know, about sustainable business ventures and what the program is all about at COA. And I know that you're one of the early folks involved. Um, and why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with launching Big Box Farms? What is that all about? Sure. So the core idea of Big Box Farms is to start producing food in urban areas right near the point of consumption. And that the way Big Box Farms does that is we go into underutilized industrial space, such as a warehouse or a vacant lot, and we install our proprietary growing systems, uh, which are primarily used for growing leafy lettuce. Um, and we can grow food right in the city so that it's fresh and doing it in a sustainable way. That's great. So how far along are you in the process? Well, we're currently at the point where we're starting to solicit investor support. Um, we've been going through a process of developing sort of prototypes and working on our technology feedback as well as developing our business idea, um, partly through the hatchery and partly through other courses at COA. And we're just sort of getting to the point right now where we're about ready to go take this thing live and start growing some lettuce. What a, what a neat and innovative idea. Is anyone else doing this? Do you have any models that you're, that you're following? You know, a, lo- a lot of it actually came through looking at the different models that people were trying to do um, out in urban agriculture. And I think there's definitely a lot of interest right now for finding more sustainable ways to get our food, to grow our food, to deliver fresher, healthier food. And we really started by surveying the variety of different options out there, trying to find out what were the things that were working well, what were the problems. And we sort of came to our conclusion and the way we do things um, as sort of seeing that, you know, there are different ways of doing it, and we think the way that we're doing it is a little bit different than what's being done out there. So I don't think anyone's doing it quite like we are. Um, And so I think that because of that, it's, something that's new and it's something that can potentially have a very big impact. So do I understand correctly that what you're proposing to do is to take, to, to grow the vegetables indoors? That's correct. Okay. Great. Great. And, um, tell us a little bit about, um, what your experience has been in the hatchery at college of the Atlantic and sort of the value of that program to your learning and to where you're going with your project. Sure. You know, I, when we started out looking at, um, I had actually started researching work for what ultimately became Big Box Farms as part of my senior project. So about, you know, six months before I actually entered into the hatchery program. And during that time, I had had this idea. 
I knew there were certain things I wanted to accomplish um, with the venture. And it really sort of started out from the approach, here are some changes that we want to see. We wanted to see, you know, food grown in the city limits, and we wanted to be able to provide people with food that wasn't more expensive than the conventional alternative, but was healthier and fresher and more sustainable. So we really started our approach as saying, how do we make this happen? And which meant we didn't know whether we were going to be a for-profit or not-for-profit when we started out. Um, and I think through, you know, the process to get into the hatchery, because there was an application process, and it really helped us to think about, okay, what are we trying to accomplish and what's the best way to do it? And ended up being a for-profit venture, but that was really all up in the air until we we're forced to sort of start going down some channels to think about how we were actually going to make this a reality. You actually brought up a question that we talked about a little bit earlier, um, which was what the role is for a for-profit versus not-for-profit, and Mm -hmm. what what was the decision-making process in deciding to choose for-profit as opposed to not-for-profit? I think for for us it was really about about how do we have the broadest um, impact you know, how do we most affect um, the urban area? And one way we thought to do that was if we could become a for-profit venture, the type of growth that we could experience as a for-profit venture versus a not-for-profit venture could be much larger. And as a result, the change that we'd be creating would be much larger. So for us, it was really how do we carry out this mission of providing fresh, local, and healthy food to people in urban areas you know, in a way that's done quickly, in a way that's done on a large impact. Great. So where would you like to see your project in five or ten years? <laughs> well, Everywhere. <laughs> in a warehouse, first of all. Okay. Um, yep. And I think, you know, we're hoping to start to try and be in the ground on a project um, coming this fall. And from there, I'd like to see, it have, you know, a, de- develop a successful model um, and hopefully at that point be starting to replicate this. Um, all across the city, and not just having one warehouse, but maybe 10 warehouses full of growing uh, productive food. Well, it's a really neat concept. Thanks for, thanks for sharing with it, it, it with us. Um, do you have any um, parting words for anyone who might be sort of at the stage where you maybe were a year or so ago, starting to think about an idea and wanting to take it to fruition? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, a similar process that I went through is that don't be afraid to question why you are in business or, for that matter, why you are running a not-for-profit. And to think about and to think in an agnostic way, which I know Jay mentioned, about what is the best way to accomplish what you want to accomplish and to not hold yourself you know, hostage by these legal definitions of not-for-profits and for-for-profit and to use it as more of a tool to accomplish the changes that you want. Great. Thank you so much. Um, Kate, do you have anything you wanted to add to related to Jordan's project? Well, with both Jordan and Noah, um, it was it was particularly interesting to work with these two students because they had strong convictions, they had great creative ideas, and I would say that what we were talking about in week one of the term was completely different than... Um, what we were talking about in week 10 of the term, and that was because um, they were really open to um, change and to innovation and to responding to the needs of 
either Mount Desert Islanders or farm stands at Hunts Point in Brooklyn or, you know, various different different stakeholders in each of their ventures. Um, and I think that that's a, a strong lesson that entrepreneurs need to keep with them, which is that you need to keep an open mind, be willing to be flexible, hold on to your, your mission statement, but um, that can take many different forms. And these two students were definitely, as well as all the students in the hatchery actually, um, were, I was really proud to see how open-minded they, they remained throughout the process. Jordan, I just wanted to say thanks for, for coming on the show with us. It's great to hear your story, and I wish you the best of luck with um, Big Box Farms. Thank you, Natalie. It was a pleasure being on. Great. Um, Kate, I think we just have a, a couple, one or two minutes left probably. Um, and um, if I guess I'd like to hear a little bit of parting words from you in terms of what you view as some of the opportunities for sustainable business um, at, in terms of the program at the college, but in the bigger picture for Maine and, and even beyond? Um, well, I think the opportunities are are endless. And I think that um, one thing that we, we really talk to students um, and each other about a lot in the program is, is this aspect of innovation, which I think everybody has mentioned. Um, but again, keeping an open mind um, and, and having the state really focus on and work towards keeping these young, creative, energetic brains and people in in the state. I think that um, as somebody who was born in Maine and has has stayed in Maine, um, I, I take my role seriously as somebody who um, can hopefully inspire others to do the same. Um, I think a lot of people who grew up here think, oh, I need to get out, I need to get into the bigger world. Um, but it's actually really fun to think about how you can make a bigger world right here. Um, and that's one thing that we try and do with the program. And I'm really hoping um, long-term does come out of the hatchery. I know Jay mentioned this earlier, but I would love to see, you know, walk through town right now. You can walk through town and point at all these these COA alum businesses, but it would be really fun to, to for me in 30 years to walk through town and say, wow, I helped them figure out their business plan and I helped them work on graphic identity. Um, I think that People can be doing that throughout the state, whether it's a formal program or not, um, but encouraging a creative economy that encourages students and um, young people to stay here, I think would be, would make me very happy. In, in terms, just a, a final question, um, you, you, obviously the college and the, the incubator or venture hatchery program you guys have started is doing uh, a large effort to try to keep business here in the state and, and creativity for creating those businesses um, to have it come out of local folks. Do you think there's a role for the state itself in helping that? I always do. Um, I, I think that the Office of Innovation could create um, create an opportunity for like competitions um, with young, innovative, creative ideas. Um, and there's definitely funding there to help support students figure this out. I think that um, incubators like ours, I know that they exist elsewhere in the state, and I think that they can only really help spark the courage that it takes to, to say, you know what, I, I can try this. And if I fail, there's somebody there to help me figure out how to fail better, as they say. Um, <laughs> And um, I think also if the state um, does respond to the needs of the people who live here um, instead of leading, leading the needs, but if they actually respond to it, um, I think we can create more social entrepreneurship, um, which can only create a better, a better place for everybody to live and stay and raise families and start businesses and prosper. Which seems to link right back to what you were saying in your earlier career when you were working in uh, restaurants and other 
uh, businesses on Mount Desert Island where it was really the customers that were driving what it was that you were delivering. Um, how for uh, future students who might be interested in enrolling in this program or even for non-students who want to learn more about it, how can people get in touch with you? Um, well, you are welcome to go to the COA website. Um, there's a sustainable business page that's linked in the the areas of study, um, as well as you can follow us on Facebook, COA Sustainable Business Program, um, and also on Twitter, COA Sustainable Enterprise. Great. Thanks, Kate. Thank um, you. Just to remind you all, um, WERU is hosting a pledge drive right now. So if you'd like to support programs like Talk of the Town, feel free to give a call on the pledge line at 1-800-643-6273. That's 1-800-643-6273. And we've come to that time when I'd like to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland music recording. Thanks to our guests in the studio and on the line, Kate Mako, Administrator of the Sustainable Business Program at COA, Jay Friedlander, Professor of Green and Sustainable Business at the college, and our students Noah Hodgett and Jordan Motzkin. Thanks also to those who listened and called in with their questions, and thanks to our engineer of the program, and stay tuned for On the Wing. Ron Beard will be back next month. This is Natalie Springle of Maine Sea Grant, guest host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.